Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Where are we? Uh, we are in Richmond Park. It's uh, 9 o'clock in the morning. There's a bit of blue sky, which is encouraging. It's cold than I thought. So you, you're, you're going to start this with Polar Explorer complaining about cold in, in May. <laughs> and who are you? I'm Ben Saunders. Um, I don't really have a sensible job title. I, I'm usually introduced as a polar explorer, which sounds like I've been beamed out of the wrong century. But uh, I've spent 17 years leading polar expeditions professionally. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So where should we head? Uh, that's a good question. T- towards Box Hill. I'm not sure about the hill itself. Come you, on. You're going to get all my excuses now. So ob- first of all, obviously, I've hardly touched my bike in months. Let's go back to the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> How did you happen upon the career of being a polar... Well, you don't like explorer, do you? Yeah, I, I don't know what I should be, really, yeah. A polar adventurer. I think, I think well, adventurer sounds a bit weird. It sounds like I sort of swig Red Bull the whole time. and Polar challenger? Every, every, <laughs> athlete? I don't know. I have no idea. I, I mean, a, athlete is probably most accurate because I, I do see myself as a, as a weird sort of athlete. Yeah, and, that, and that's the... That's the appeal for me. You know, these trips, I, I, I'm not trying to find out where the South Pole is. That's, that, yeah, that's all been done. So yeah. for me, these are, these are all about human, you know, human limits rather than geographical ones. So, but yeah, I, and I never really thought it could or would, or would be a career. You know, my first expedition was 2001. I was 23 years old. I thought, you know, the opportunity came along. I, I met this guy, Penn Haddo, who, who ended up leading that trip. And it felt like opportunity of a lifetime. And, uh, and I thought it would be a one-off, you know, extraordinary experience. Never did I imagine I'd be doing it for 17 years. Did you fall in love with it? <laughs> did you instantly yeah, I, fall in love with being well, I did. at the Poles? I fell in love, but I also came home. We, we didn't get to the Pole. We were trying to get to the North Pole that year. We got two-thirds of the way there. I came home feeling utterly thrashed by the whole experience. Completely in shock. I was, I was 23. I thought I was pretty fit. Thought it was pretty tough. And it was so humbling. I came home just utterly crushed by the the severity of this place. 
the intensity of the, the, the experience, yeah, just how bloody hard it was. And in terms of preparing for that and the training, um, what did you do? And I'm assuming cycling was a, was a big part of that. Yeah, cycling's always been part. I've always, always loved cycling since I was a teenager. This is probably one of the, the last few months, probably one of the longest periods I've had off, mostly off the bike in years. So uh, you'll hear me puffing up the hill now. <laughs> yeah, we're um, going up <laughs> the biggest climb in <laughs> Richmond Park right yeah. now, 8%. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've always loved riding bikes. And uh, this is back when cycling was a, a weird thing to do. Um, <laughs> a bit like Arctic exploration. Exactly, yeah. So, <laughs> and I've always loved, loved the fact that on a bike, I think it's good for, for what I do, it's good mental preparation as well as physical. You, you, can, you can really suffer on a bike. Yeah. You can, it's quite solitary in many ways, um, especially if you're training, you know, a lot of, lot of miles on your own, tough winters. So a surprising number of parallels, really. Do you think the seeds were sown when you were a teenager riding your bike and thrashing yourself around for, <laughs> for your later life? I think so, yeah. There's some, some kind of screw came loose. Um, I spent a year up in Scotland after A levels. What, uh, yeah, what should have been a gap year, and I'm still on it now, age 40, which I never, never made it as far as university. So I worked for a guy called John Ridgway, who was. Uh, along with Che Blythe, they were the first people to row across the Atlantic, 1966. Yeah. I, w I wonder though, just, just to slightly uh, go off at a tangent, these people like Penn Haddo and John Ridgway, are they almost sort of running away from normal life? Are they, are they sort of trying to escape something? <laughs> yeah, I've often thought about that. Someone asked me recently, like, who do you think, who do you think is, is, is more Courageous, you know, someone like you who gets to these brilliant journeys, or, or the sort of nine-to-five wage slave who's you know looking after his kids and his family. And I don't know. I mean, it's a tough one, really. Where are they going? We're going left. I'm a, <laughs> I, I'm a semi-wage slave, Ben. To be honest, um, <laughs> I, I, I don't feel like a hero. Yeah. <laughs> but just coming back to the the sort of the upbringing, I know that you. You sort of dabbled with going into the army, didn't you? You went to yes, Sandhurst, yeah, yeah, you yeah. didn't finish that. I relate to that because I almost went into the forces yeah. and started the process of becoming an officer in the yeah. Royal Marines. Yes, yeah, yeah. And uh, went down to Limston and had a sort of introductory mm. week training there when I was only 16. Yeah, yeah. But like you, I love being outdoors. I love the fitness. Yeah. I couldn't stand being shouted at by corporals. Yeah, well, it, it took me a little bit longer to figure that one out, but I, ultimately I realised I didn't like being told what to do. I didn't. I didn't did not respond well to authority. So that was, <laughs> that was my big lesson from the army. Yeah. But I think I, I, I went, to it, went into it thinking that it was the that was the natural career path. That's, that's how one ended up doing what I, what I aspired to do eventually. Most of, my, most of my boyhood heroes had been in the army. Yes. Um, again, yeah, Ramal Fiennes, John Ridgway was para, special forces. Um, Chris Bollington was in the army. You decided it wasn't for you and then you embarked on this yeah, this left, left the army. Left the army age 21, to the to the, I think shock and dismay of my mum and yeah, sort of close family who who, I think, were hoping that I'd finally figured out what I wanted to do and I'd 
make something of myself and you know, leaving the army, age 21, no money, no job, not, you know, nothing. Thought I was a lost cause. It's not exactly the ocean of solitude around here that, <laughs> that being it's, in Antarctica it's is. Really not. No, I mean, I, I part of me loves extremes, as you'd probably expect, and I love big cities and I love complete wilderness. And, and actually, suburbia does my head in a bit. Well, we're in the <laughs> thick of it now, aren't we? Yeah. We're heading out to Surrey. <laughs> we're just coming through through uh, Molsey. Molsey, yeah. heading towards Isha. I mean, it doesn't really get more suburban than this, my friend. <laughs> we'll have a few, a few, a few cul-de-sacs out here. <laughs> yeah. So you like the contrast, do you? I do. Living I in love, the thick yeah, of it. I, I, I mean, I'm always trying to. I'm always slightly surprised by the fact that I've lasted nearly 20 years in London now. Um, and I mean, London is, is. I mean, hey, it's just an amazing city. There's just there's a lot going on, no matter how weird the things you're into you know polar exploration whatever it is you're, you're guaranteed to find a few other people that are into it so it's, it's an extraordinary place and uh, for me it's been a good a good hub it's an easy place to get away from I live and I'm west I'm also in Richmond so close to Heathrow on a you know on a clear morning with no traffic I can be from my bed to the airport in less than half an hour you know 25 minutes I've also just, i.e. less than 24 hours ago, entered um, a race called the Dragon's Back, which is late May next year, so just over a year's time. Where is it? Uh, in Wales, and it's, uh, it's a running race. It's called, well, they call it the toughest five-day mountain race in the world. And it's five days from the very north of Wales to the very south. Across Snowdonia. Right across all the hilliest bits in the middle. So it's, uh, I think it's about 300k five days and it's got more than 15,000 meters of ascent so uh, that's basically climbing Everest twice in five days. It does sound like you're in a bit of a, a period of transition there. But, oh very much so. Your wedding coming up. Very much so yeah, yeah. You're looking to the future. Yeah. So let's reflect then on the expeditions uh, and like you say you set records you walked four and a half thousand miles in total. Yeah. At the, uh, at the poles, when you sort of look back, what are the, what are the most difficult memories? What are the times <laughs> when you thought, I can't do this anymore? Yeah. Because inevitably there have been failures and you sort of embraced that a little bit. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, I did, there's, a, there's something, an interview came out in the FT recently and, and, and they, they slightly misconstrued something I said about, about failure, which was- Put them right here then. <laughs> I've always, aimed so high with each expedition that I've invariably I've fallen short like I've never achieved everything that I set out to do on yeah. each expedition I've always aimed as high as I could often trying to do things that no one's ever done before um, in you know arguably the toughest places on, on earth and um, to start with whenever it was 17 years ago I had I think I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder you know, I felt like the sort of young upstart in Points this. Points approved. Yes, yeah, very much so, yeah. And there was a lot of ego in my motivation, a lot of wanting to test myself and prove myself and make a name for myself um, in this field that's, you know, dominated by some pretty iconic characters. Um, historically, you've got you know, Scott, Shackleton, Amundsen, Nansen, even 
recently you've got people like Ronald Fiennes, you know, Guinness Book of Records calling the world's greatest living explorer. So you're kind of taking on these giants. And I definitely felt, yeah, like I was the sort of newcomer and uh, yeah, I had something to prove. And what do you eat? So, well, it's, it's fairly high tech. So uh, breakfast and dinner are in a bag, freeze dried, add water from, from melting snow. Same every day? Uh, a bit of variety, not much. I think I had five different meals. Um, and then during the day, you don't really have lunch, but we have six breaks. So uh, six uh, sort of gulps of hot energy drink and uh, six normally bars. Um, we've had a few things, but there, there, are, there are quite a few things on the market now. Um, this whole paleo thing has led yes. some really good stuff for us. So oh, really? there's a company called Primal Pantry, I think they're called, who do a bar that's made of sort of high fat nuts. So kind of macadamia nuts and cashew nuts and things. Do you want to go straight here or left? Take a left, yeah? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to get techie here yeah. on, on, on the macros. Yeah, yeah. But you'd assume doing that kind of effort, and certainly doing an effort on a bike, yeah. it's you're taking on carbs as you're going on. But what, yes. I guess with the effort of being slow and steady, yeah. do you then take on more fat and protein because you will burn it differently? Exactly, yeah. And it's, it's a, there's still been a bit, of get, a bit of guesswork. I mean, despite the fact there's so much science now around, around endurance, we're doing something that's so, that's so weird. You know, we're doing 10 hours of exercise a day, seven days a week for three and a half months. Like we had three rest days in 100, out of 108 days. And what do you do on a rest and, day? And, and they were only rest days because it was too windy to move. So just so they not, so they're not scrabble. Well, mostly you're petrified because there's a storm going on. So it's not relaxing. You don't recover very much because you're worried that the tent's going to get shredded any second and the poles will break and you know so uh, you're definitely not recovering properly there's a sort of calorific deficit the whole time you're losing weight uh, I lost 22 kilos wow. in three and a half months I put on 10 beforehand so I sort of fattened up before you know, before the trip yeah and came back I totally emaciated and um, in a way sort of classically Overtrain. Should we get join straight or uh, yeah. straight? Let's go straight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, if you told any athletic coach that you were planning to do 10 hours of exercise a day, seven days a week, with not enough food, not enough sleep, they'd say you're nuts. You're going to get injured. You'll fall apart. You yeah, know. Yeah. And that and that's essentially what happened. It took. You know, I came home February 2014. Uh, you know, put on weight very quickly. Did you? With with no science behind it at all i just stuffed my face ice any, cream any, and pizza anything and... everything any opportunity of course had zero appetite for doing anything physical so i just sat around stuffing my face um, so very quickly started to look relatively normal again but physically kind of and mentally like emotionally i was i was really shattered one line i heard you say <laughs> which really resonated was when you were solo heading towards the North Pole yeah. is the realisation that 
you were up there on your own and all the world's troubles were beneath you, yes. were below you. Which, I mean, I guess the only equivalent that normal people could feel is when they're up in a plane and they yes. look down or, you know, you, you hear astronauts say the yeah. same thing as well, um, don't you? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, even being on my own last year, which was, you know, two months, well, 52 days, not quite two months in Antarctica, I think there was, there was something um, quite special about, about just escaping um, reality in some ways, escaping, escaping news and gossip and social media and Trump's tweets and, you know, <laughs> and... Uh, We've just gone can... over the, the M25, that, yes, isn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now we're out in the countryside. Threshold for, for, for a proper ride. Yeah. Crossing the motorway. Doesn't mean the traffic's died down. No. I think we're hitting rush hour. Yeah, we've had a few beats and a few people getting grumpy. Well, I kind of wish I was uh, in the Antarctic right now. Yeah. <laughs> Although, I do wonder about how, how do you get used to the cold? Um, do you like it? Yeah. Good question. Um, there's something quite special about it. I don't, I don't enjoy being cold, but equally, I, I, I don't mind the cold. I've always loved the snow. I always, as a kid, would get excited when it snowed. So uh, there's something, yeah, some screw loose somewhere. <laughs> when you're there, do you, do you lose your bearings a bit? Do you find yourself thinking in every which way is south? <laughs> um, you know, I can't sort of go. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, quite, it's almost it's quite, mind blowing, really. It's quite surreal. So navigating away from the poles is, is interesting. Um, and uh, yeah, someone asked recently, "What? Yeah, how did you handle being lost? Did you ever get lost?" And so in some ways, I'm, I'm always lost. I'm just trying to get to this point. Yeah, 90 degrees north, but there's no. It's not like there's a path I've got to follow. I just keep going north. So the ice is drifting around the whole time. You're very rarely on this exact yeah, straight, straight line, line yeah. yeah. Should we do box? Uh, We've got time. What do you think? Quarter past, quarter past ten. Be rude not to. Yeah. <laughs> go on then. I'll struggle. You'll be back in good time. Oh, no, we're, we're going, we just go at this pace. Your pace. <laughs> ben on box has a nice ring to it, I think. Yeah. <laughs> we're almost there anyway, aren't yeah. we? Let's get this uh, descent out of the way. We'll give the, uh, give the chat a rest for, yeah, a, for a couple of moments. <clears throat> I'll tuck him behind you down here. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Is that a track stand? Good yeah. track stand, sir. I can, I'm like Zoolander. I can, I can only do them sort of pointing right. <laughs> yeah. If there's a little bit of an incline. I'm, yeah, yeah one, one trick pony. I can't turn the other way. <laughs> What's, it, what's he called? Is it counter turn or something? <laughs> yeah. He can't counter turn. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so I'm going to be stuffed in France. I can only, I can only track stand towards the sort of camber, the, the, uh, yeah, the wrong way. <laughs> so when you're back here, are you thinking, I wish I was at the poles? And when you're at the poles, are you thinking, I wish I was back home? Pretty much, yeah. I, 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 uh, yeah, if there's a big trip coming up, we'll, we'll get you know, more and more excited as I'm counting down the days. And then invariably, when I start an expedition, normally day one, or evening number one in my sleeping bag, in the back of my little diary, little notebook, I start a sort of a, like a prisoner scratching on the wall of his cell, a sort of a tally of how many days here until I get home. <laughs> so, and very quickly you start fantasizing about really mundane things like having a bath or sitting at a table. We like box, don't we, Ben? <laughs> we do, although I'm not feeling very fit. <laughs> I think we're doing all right, time-wise. <laughs> we're trying, and it is a beautiful day. It was pouring rain yesterday, and uh, now we've got dry roads, a bit of sunshine. Happy days. Let's just uh, <laughs> should we have a little breather at the top. We'd... Yeah, could we've got plenty of giants. Uh, we could, yeah, good. We can grab a coffee here if you want. Brilliant. A bit quieter. It's on me. I love this place. I haven't been out to box in a while. Mm. I think we've picked a good day for it, actually. Yeah. It's nice when you get a presentable job. Yeah. yeah. You can sneak yeah. out mid-morning on a, on a Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> are, they, are they the upsides of effectively being your own boss is you can kind of call your own shots on exactly. this? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But the downsides then, when, when things aren't quite going to plan, it's down to you to make the decision yeah, to bail. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's times when the weather has been abysmal and you've had to sort of say, look, there's no point going on here. I mean, you talk, talked about, mm. about Henry losing his life. Yep. That, that has to be the back of your mind. Right? Yeah, I mean, he, so Henry, Henry um, he was, um, well, he basically called for, 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 for an evacuation flight, you know, very, very, uh, he was three, four days away from finishing his trip. He'd been out for 10 weeks. So, so within a hair's breadth of finishing, um, called for a pickup. He was unwell. I remember thinking at the time, A, a like what a what a kind of ballsy like what a what a what a wise move you know being able having the kind of wherewithal to to to, to call for help that close to finishing like you know good man um, and thinking he was he was fine he was high and dry they they picked him up very quickly they had a weather window got him back to the coast got him back to Chile he was in hospital in Chile a day a day or two later 
Um, so we all thought he was fine, and then and then he was compasmentous at the time. I think so. From what yeah, from what I've heard, yeah. I mean, physically pretty pretty weak, but um, yeah, conscious, compasmentous, and, and um, you know, it's basically airlifted to hospital in Chile, and uh, a day later was dead, and he he died of peritonitis, a sort of acute abdominal infection that n- normally comes from a ruptured appendix. Right. In Henry's case, it came from a stomach ulcer that that, that ruptured, and. Um, and that he just didn't know about. Didn't know about. I mean, presumably would have felt pretty ill and pretty pretty knackered, but um, obviously wasn't aware of exactly what was happening. And uh, yeah, I mean, even 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 here in the middle of Surrey, if you have a ruptured stomach ulcer, so you're, you're in trouble. So um, so it wasn't it wasn't necessarily the case that, that it was it was Antarctica that that, that did him in, but um, but certainly the severity of the journey and and and, and the, the, yeah, the physical mental stress would have been exacerbating facts and whether or not it was a it was a sort of pre-existing condition or whether it came on when he was when he was out yeah um but it was first i mean definitely sobering and, and i did an interview on the satellite phone while i was out there and and, and journalists one of the broadsheets said well is, is is henry's memory you know kind of inspiring you when things are tough to sort of push a bit hard and i said you know what it's the opposite it's 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 encouraging me to to, to play it safe and not take any stupid risks and 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 reminder that that when you're on your own, the safety margin is, is that much slimmer. There's not, yeah, there's not not much, uh, not much uh, leeway. Not much leeway. No. I also wonder: Do you oscillate between reflecting on how frail humans are, especially mm. in the, you know, in how gigantic Antarctica is, but also how you can push on through, and that mental determination can take you to to new heights. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's 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 um. It's a strange experience. You know, I, I, often, I think this is part of the, a weird part of the appeal for me. I often say that if you, if you were parachuted into the hottest desert or the deepest jungle in a pair of speedos, you'd, you'd live for a day or two. You'd be all right, you know. But the Antarctic plateau or the high Arctic Ocean in, in you know, sort of early spring, minus forty, pair of speedos, you'd be dead in a few minutes. So there's something to me. There's something quite special about being able to survive, being able to operate out there completely self-sufficiently for weeks, you know, months at a time, on the contents of this little life support system that you're dragging behind you, you know. Um, so, so I think in some ways I'm like a frustrated astronaut, you know, there's, there's, there's definitely an element of, of you know, there's the still the little kid in me that dreamt of going to different planets, and, and this is a, about as close as I'm going to get, really, <laughs> I think. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the, the, it's a funny mix because you feel very aware of your own... Um, and mortality sounds a bit grand, but you're definitely aware of your own warmth and having to kind of shepherd that and, and keep it going in, in, a, in a place that is... I often imagine myself as a tiny little, almost like one of those thermal imaging things, this, this little pinprick of warmth in this, in this massive, like, deep blue expanse of, of deep frozen cold. Um, and it feels like, particularly Antarctica, where it's very windy, it sort of feels like it's trying to steal your heat the whole time you've got pressures about it so it's a hard thing to try and explain but you do you feel on the one hand you feel very vulnerable and then on the other hand it's 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 weird like looking at my knees my ankles my hips thinking god they've done a hell of a lot of mileage now and it's it's physically pretty pretty tough you know do you worry about the long-term effects Hip replacements and that. Not kind of thing. yet, not yet. Yeah, ask me in ten years' time. You can tell I'm obsessed with the aging process. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can't you, ben? It's, it's playing on my mind. <laughs> Cycling to Surrey and back, not not going to the South Pole. I don't know. I, I'm yeah. I'm still, in a sense, yeah. Getting injured, kind of before I got ill, pre-marathon, getting injured. I tore, tore my calf. Just doing, just stupidly did a 5k. I hadn't warmed up properly. Um, a couple months ago, and that was. 
that was sobering because I've, I've, you know, t- touch wood. I've been fairly lucky on the injury front for, for years and years and years, and that was that was part of me. Yeah, yeah, I think I think once you cross that 40, 40 threshold in, into your into your you know, fifth decade, yeah, like you see all these little question marks start popping up. Like, ooh, was I just unlucky or am I just getting old and knackered? Yeah. <laughs> you know. I tell you what, the other the other sort of bit about what you do, and I'm not I'm not sort of grasping here to compare it with cycling, mm. but. It, there has to be an obsession with kit, with both things, oh, yeah, yeah. doesn't no, there? Are, no, and, and there are so many parallels, and, 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 and um, yeah, with, with kit, and in some ways like cycling, with, with saving weight as well. Um, not, not so much, I know, I know in pro cycling, like, like, like your own weight is important. For me, it's almost the opposite. I've got, yeah. I've got to beef up before this trip. But, you need um, the warmth. But the, exactly, yeah, and, and, and the stored energy, stored calories. But, um, but the, the lighter the sledge is, the, the less I'm pulling or carrying, you know, the higher my chances of success. So, so I, I've become absolutely obsessed by, by saving weight in the sledge, whether that's freeze-drying the food to remove any moisture or, you know, the sledge itself is carbon fiber, Kevlar. The, um, you know, the, 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 the skis are, were, were composite last year. Um, the sledge, you know, yeah, the, the tent, cut the, cut the mosquito nets out, no mozzies in Antarctica. <laughs> replace, all the, replace all the metal tabs on the zips with little bits of cord, save weight, cut the handle off my toothbrush. Cut all the labels out of my clothes, you know, just so I get really obsessed about it. And, and you're a weight weaning. Oh yeah, for sure. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in polar terms, definitely. Um, and uh, I mean, part of it is probably just placebo. Like knowing you've been that obsessive about attention to detail is, is for me, certainly means I'm more confident starting. Um, and I've always, I've always loved it ever since I was a scout. You know, going camping for the first time. You know, sort of packing my rucksack. I've always loved that, loved the gear and the equipment and the clothing. So, so that there's definitely, there are definitely some parallels with cycling that I've always, always loved. Yeah. And that will carry on whether you're heading to Absolutely. the poles or not. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a whole new. Yeah, looking at this, looking at this ultra marathon next next uh, next spring. There's a whole new gear obsession now with with, with running vests and hydration things and yeah. trail running shoes and you know, GPS watches. And, and now you've been through the cycle so many times, mm-hmm. and obviously you've got great support from sponsors who've known you over several mm-hmm. years. Is it easier just to keep? To, is it easier to keep those relationships just ticking over, or maybe mm-hmm. pull in some? new support for the running or whatever mm, mm. Um, does it does it get easier to do the whole thing in in some ways it, it, it does yeah and it has but in other ways I think as I've got more ambitious that you know the budgets have scaled up and up and, up and, and these projects have become more, and more complex so it's quite I, I'm in quite a nice in some ways I'm in this sort of weird limbo straight state right now where I don't have I've got a few ideas but I don't have like a definite plan I'm, I'm not on a sort of timeline counting down to another departure for, for, for the polls um, so in some ways I'm, 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 I'm under less pressure right now than ever but in other ways I'm also aware of um, and all these big big brands now are, are, are doing more of marketing online there are more and more sort of self-styled influencers who have enormous audiences and I, and I haven't really I've got I have a, I have a following but I've never really done much sort of deliberately to try to sort of build those audiences and, 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 and suddenly you've got these influencers coming along who've got enormous audiences they haven't really done anything well, that's the thing know. isn't it that's the thing they haven't and done what you've and it's done no, but it's uh, so, so I sort of part of me feels quite quite um you know sort of I, I have to try to justify my, my which probably sounds daft but um with these sponsors in some ways I have to sort of justify my, my my you know carrying on this relationship with them the spin-offs for you have obviously been the inspirational talking and the mm. ted talks you've done and I wonder, as part of that, are the more interesting stories the ones more when you've when it, you've come up short or something's mm. gone wrong? Do you find that the failures perhaps 
throw up the more interesting observations on life. Yeah, I think so. And I, and I think I think I think also people mistakenly assume that I'm sort of wired differently, and I don't I don't experience I don't know fear or self doubt or laziness or procrastination or any of these entirely normal human things that we all wrestle with most of the time you know? so so I, I i i kind of make a point of explaining that actually i've had i've had to deal with these things the whole time and even even standing in scott's hut feeling this like huge kind of imposter syndrome like what on earth am i doing here like, how did this happen you know um, or being dropped off in 2004 you know ski solo to the north pole thinking you know that i just absolutely petrified i've been so busy for 18 months, you know, trying to make this thing happen, and, and hadn't taken a minute to reflect on the, like, the enormity of what I was about to, to do, and um, yeah, dropped off. Everyone else climbs back in the helicopter, door, doors, you know, door slammed shut. And I sat there thinking, well, I stood there in my, on my skis, thinking, you know, how can I make this stop? Like, how can I get back in the helicopter? <laughs> so there's always been a, a sort of moment of, 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 I don't know, kind of c- commitment with each big expedition, and there's often been a moment of feeling completely out of my depth and. Um, Final question, Ben, mm. with the wedding mm. on the horizon. <laughs> where does a polar explorer go on honeymoon? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I was very jammy. So a friend of mine has a place in the Maldives, believe it or not. So she, she invited Pip and, and me out in February when I came back to Arctic. She was like, just come, come and defrost for a bit. So we, went, we had this extraordinary week on this island in the Maldives in February. So I, I, I just thought, you know what, I can't, I can't top that really on the, on, the, on the honeymoon front. And we've only got, we've got like sort of eight day window. So we didn't want to do some huge long haul flights. So we're going to Menorca. Beautiful. Um, I've never been. Take I'm, the looking, bike. I'm looking forward to it. I don't know if I will. Um, I think we just have a week, a very chilled week of doing not much at all. I think they've got these sort of bikes with baskets on at the hotel we're going to. So, so there may be a bit of pedaling, but um, yeah, I'm just going to have, have a week off really. and. Um, yeah, looking forward to it. I mean, I love, as I mentioned, I, I love Mallorca. And a few people have said, oh, if you like Mallorca, you'll, you'll, you'll like Mallorca. It's like, it's like being sort of, it's like Mallorca sort of beamed back about three decades and just very chilled. Yeah. So, yeah, looking forward to that. It's a long way from the South Pole, Ben. It is, yeah. <laughs> thank you so much indeed. Pleasure. Thank you, Matt. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 